Amen. Man, I'm so thankful that we get to worship together and to sing those songs of faith together. Um, I want to remind you, by the way, last Sunday, we're, we're in the middle of something called Legacy, the Legacy Initiative, and last Sunday was our Commitment Sunday where we had these commitment cards like this and we brought them forward and made our commitments to what God is doing uh, and, and expanding our facilities. And if you weren't here last week, we are taking these in for the next several weeks. So it might be that you didn't have a chance to uh, get a commitment card. Well, we have some in the chair pockets. We've got them out at the welcome desk. Take one of those. Spend this week and pray, God, what do you want our family to do? And then bring this uh, with you uh, next week. If you brought one today, you can drop it in the box in uh, the lo- one of the giving boxes in the lobby. Also, next Sunday is going to be a really cool Sunday. First of all, it's Fall Fest. So we're going to have a great day. We're going to see some people be baptized, and uh, there'll be some food, tr- food trucks. It's going to be a pretty cool uh, day. But in addition to that, next week is First Fruits Sunday. And you go, well, what in the world is that, right? This is going to be our opportunity to bring a one-time offering to the Legacy Initiative as a First Fruits, as a celebration of what God is doing. So I want to invite you. Next week, we'll have a time where we receive an offering in our worship service, and it will be a first fruits offering. So spend some time this week. Just, God, what can we give as a first fruits, as a first step out into the Legacy uh, Initiative? And so God is at work in this place, and our job is to just join Him in the work that He's doing. So I hope that you will do that. I'm excited today. We're jumping in, continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit. Um, discovering who the Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, why we should pursue Him with all of our heart. And today what we're going to look at I think is so important for believers, and it is this. Today we're going to be discovering how the Holy Spirit gives us victory over sin. How the Holy Spirit gives us victory over sin. Who in this room would acknowledge with me um, sin is still very much a problem in my life? So very much an issue, right? Okay. For a lot of you, obviously, you've got some shoulder issues because your arm didn't work just then. Got some, uh, maybe you got an old football injury flaring up with weather change. I don't know. I'm just going to give you one more at bat. Otherwise, it's about to be a sermon about liars for now, okay? I'll just close the book and we'll talk about what that is, right? How many of you would acknowledge sin's still a problem for me, still an issue? Oh, there you are. I knew you were here. Just couldn't see you. Um, how many of you would acknowledge also with that, I know exactly the kind of sin and the specific sin that's an issue for me? I know the sin that that is in my heart, right? I wonder who would say with me, I have, I've tried to get over that. I've even asked God to set me free from that, and I still struggle with it. But boy, I would love to have victory over that in my life. Who's with me in that? Yeah. What I want us to see is that victory really is available to us um, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think this is one of the most precious, powerful, liberating realities that we have this side of heaven, right? When we're in heaven, new bodies, everything's new, no more sin, full presence of God, all of that. But this side of heaven, one of the most beautiful, powerful, liberating realities we have is this, that victory over sin is available to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Victory over sin is available to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to get our hearts united around this this morning. Now, you may be sitting here looking at that and going, all right, dude, um, 
I would love to believe that's true, but I don't feel it as true in my everyday life because I still feel defeated uh, by sin, right? And so maybe you're here this morning and you're going, yes, I know that to be true. You may be sitting in the seat going, man, I really want that to be true. Either way, here's what I say. If we can get our hearts united around if God's word says it, it's true, then we're in a good place, all right? So can we unite our hearts around this reality? The Bible is going to teach us that in the Spirit, we can have victory over sin. Therefore, we can. It is true, right? And it is done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? It means that if I've been born again, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer sin's slave. That's what Romans 6 says, or 16, 17, 18. If you are in Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. You are now a slave to righteousness. Well, what does that mean? It means something has happened. If I have victory, if I can have victory over sin, it means something has changed. Something has happened so that, listen, it is no longer an inevitable reality that sin will have power over me. Something has happened now that has made power available to me to give me victory over sin. Something has happened, and that's what we want to discover today. So grab your Bibles, let's head to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be uh, starting around verse 16. Um, as you're turning there, the reality is most believers don't walk in this victory. They don't, they don't walk in this. Most believers still live defeated by sin. And listen, here's what you know, what I know. It isn't from lack of effort of trying to change, right? It isn't from a lack of effort of trying to do better and get over this sin and not have it as a part of our life. It's not due from a lack of effort. Believer, listen to me. The, the fact that we live defeated by sin is due to an absence of understanding who the Holy Spirit is and the power, power that is available to us through Him. That's what it's from. When I was in high school, or all of my life, but uh, I grew up raising cattle, and, um, which was a cool way to grow up, except for that one of my father's spiritual gifts was ruining every Saturday with things like building fence and nonsense like that, right? He just loved it. He loved getting up on Saturdays and go, oh, how can I obliterate his joy today? I know. We'll go build a fence. So we would build fence, and, and uh, my, we would drive out. My dad would say things like, all right, Matt. You're going to be my post hole digger today, man. You're going to do it. And he said it like, oh, I'm so proud of you, slugger. Go get them. It's going to be great. When really I knew what that meant was, you're going to dig holes in the ground until your arms fall off. And so we would pull up, and he would hand me this instrument of torture called post hole diggers. Anybody ever had the joy of working those bad boys, right? You feel that unique burn right here in the shoulders? And so about four hours into using those post hole diggers, I was, I, I was ready to quit, right? Because thankfully, thankfully, we were building along a line that was about six inches beneath the topsoil. There was rock-hard clay, and just beneath that, I think, was iron ore, right? I was literally digging in diamond is what it felt like. And um, so by noon, I'm done. I'm, I'm like, man, seriously, we've got to do something different. And um, well, about lunchtime, one of my dad's buddies rolled up. He was going to help us. And I was getting ready to hand him the post hole diggers, and he goes, no, I don't want that, kid. That's yours. And out of the back of his truck came something I had never seen before, 
uh, I didn't know existed. Wes, that was a gas-powered auger. I had never seen one in my life. That's a serious thing. I just We didn't have them, right? My dad, until I graduated high school, I was his auger. But all of a sudden, this thing showed up, and I was like, what is this? And he put gas in that thing, and he cranked it up. And I'm telling you, we were doing in a fraction of the time what it had taken me all morning to do. Listen, the work was still the same. The ground we were trying to break through, all the same, but something had changed because now there was a power available to me that had changed everything. Here's the deal, though. I didn't even know that power existed, which meant I also didn't know how to engage it. I don't know how to use it. Believer, I want you to hear me. And, and everybody in this room, you're, you're going to find yourself in one of two camps this morning. Either you're in a place where you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you don't even realize power over sin exists. Or you have made Jesus the Lord of your life and you're not engaging the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in victory. Right? Everything we're going to talk about is what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to do what only He can do. But the Spirit can't work in a heart that doesn't belong to Christ. But if your heart does belong to Christ, there is power available to us in this. And I think that that lack of understanding of the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest weapons the enemy uses against us. Right? It's a weapon of the enemy that we remain in the dark on the role and person and power of the Holy Spirit. Which is why we feel we, we, we don't feel a desire to engage him. It's why we're ill-informed. It's why we don't have a desire to pray and pursue his presence and his, and his filling. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any other doctrine there is. He has confused it, opposed it, surrounded it with false notions and fears. He has blocked every effort of the church of Christ to receive from the Father her divine and blood-bought patrimony. Patrimony. The church has tragically neglected this great liberating truth that there is now for the child of God a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing with the Holy Ghost. All right? So I want you to hear very deeply, the enemy has no interest in you discovering the Holy Spirit. But believer, there is freedom that is available to you. And the Spirit-filled life is going to be a life marked by victory, not defeat. It doesn't mean we have it perfect. It means it's a life marked by victory. Let's look at it in God's Word. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. If you're there, let's say the Bible is true. Amen. You know what that means? Whatever the Bible is about to say to us, we're going to receive it as true. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I was very tempted to preach one verse today. <laughs> um, just look at, just consider that for a moment. Consider the promise and the power in that. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you do this, then, you won't, then this will be the outcome. Then you won't do this. What a powerful promise. Paul unpacks it for us over the next few verses. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. 
and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Right? For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What law is Paul talking about? He's talking about the law he talks about in Romans 8 when he says that the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. He's saying if you are uh, led by the Spirit, you're not going to be under the law of sin and death. So what Paul is helping us see is that life in Christ is life in the Spirit, and life in the Spirit gives us victory over sin. Victory over sin. So I want you to grab this, wrestle it, hold it into your heart. The point of the gospel is not only that we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? For the wages of sin is? That's the penalty. The point of the gospel is not that we, not only that we've been delivered from the penalty of sin, but that we have also been delivered from the power of sin. We've been delivered from the penalty of death, and we've been delivered from the power of sin. That's the point of the gospel. And so what we're going to see this morning, we're going to try to unpack this. Um, and I want us to see it really primarily in two uh, truths about our struggle with sin and about the victory that we have in the Holy Spirit. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Our struggle with sin is an absolute war. Our struggle with sin is an absolute war. Look at how he says it in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, right? These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Don't miss this. It's very important. There is a battle between two natures that rages in the life of every Christian, every one of us. There is a battle between two natures that's absolutely raging. Before we're born again, before we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have what's called a sin nature. We have that, that Paul right here calls the flesh. This is that part of us that desires uh, to sin. It desires to rebel against God. It desires to live life on our own terms and, and do things our own way. And it doesn't desire God. That's the flesh. And before Christ, before we belong to him, there's no real struggle with sin. Now, you may feel bad when you do something that breaks your own moral code or a moral framework that you've been taught, but before Jesus Christ, there's no battle to be free from sin or to have victory over sin. But when you are born again, when you're born of the Spirit, is what Jesus talks about. When you're born by the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden now, according to Colossians 3, we're given a new nature. And that new nature comes with new desires because it's the nature of Christ himself. So we have this new nature with new desires. All of a sudden, we have this desire to love God. It wasn't there before. Now we have it. There's this desire to obey Jesus and to walk with him and to know him and to grow in our love for him. And from the moment we're born again, from the moment that new nature comes in, that's the moment the war begins. Right then. All of a sudden, the flesh and the spirit are at odds with one another so that in every believer there's this new nature with these new desires to please Jesus and there's this old nature that has not been fully put to death yet that only pulls us away from Jesus. 
So the Spirit of God, if you are in Christ, the Spirit of God is now at work in you to make you more like Jesus. Listen, I want you to feel this. The Holy Spirit is not here to make us better versions of ourselves. The Holy Spirit is given to us to make us more like Jesus. That's why we have the Spirit. Not to make you a better you. That's the gospel of the world. That's the gospel of the culture. That's the gospel you hear from people who don't necessarily see a need for a relationship with Christ. Just be a better you. The gospel is no, be, stop being you and be more like Christ. Right? And the Holy Spirit is given to us to make us more like Jesus. And the flesh is fighting against that transformative work. And I would tell you, your flesh doesn't want to yield an inch to the Spirit. It does not want to yield one inch of ground to the work the Holy Spirit wants to do. It's an absolute war. It's an absolute war. I think so many of us live defeated by sin because we don't get the reality of the war we're in. We just don't, we don't, we don't see it that way. Think about it like the difference between uh, two nations that are friendly, two friendly nations that go out and do military exercises with one another. You've seen that, right? We'll do military exercises. We do this with nations that are our friends. Why do we do that? We're practicing, right? We want to get a little better. But if we make a mistake, no big deal. Why? Because nothing's really on the line and we're not giving full effort. But the difference between military exercises between friendly nations and an all-out war between enemy nations, what's the difference? Everything's on the line. Everything is on the line. Your battle with your flesh is not a drill. It's not practice. It's not something you toy with or take lightly. It's an all-out war. And we have to have a wartime mentality when it comes to how we deal with sin in our life. This is what Paul meant in Romans 7, how he described the war that raged in himself. I'm so thankful Paul put this in Romans. This is how he did describe the war that raged in himself. He said it this way, Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't do those. I know what I should do and I want to do, but I don't do it. And the very things I don't want to do, I know I should stop doing them. Those are the things I keep on doing. So he says this in Romans 7, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. How many of you go, yep, I know that. Every time I try to build a new godly habit, something one interrupts, right? Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, my inner being. But I see in my members another law. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This battle is real. And if you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life, but your flesh is waging war against the work he wants to, to do. And we have to have a wartime mentality. We have got to put, when it comes to the sin in our life and our flesh, we have to put on the mindset that says, be killing it or it will be killing me. That's the mindset we have to put on. Be putting it to death or it will be putting me to death. John Piper said it this way. 
He said, if you try to survive as a Christian in any other way than by the Spirit, you will not survive. You will die. Until you believe that life is war, that the stakes are your soul, you will probably just play at Christianity with no blood earnestness and no vigilance and no passion and no wartime mindset. And if that is where you are, your position is very precarious. Why? Because the enemy has lulled you into sleep and into a peacetime mentality as if nothing serious is at stake. Boy, that's a dangerous place to be, right? It's a dangerous place to be when we are not making war on sin. It's a dangerous place to be when we've come to just accept sin as inevitable, when we've come to just look at the routine of sin we have in our life and go, well, I've tried, can't beat it, so I guess it's here to stay. That's The enemy has literally rocked you to sleep as if nothing was on the line. We have to make war. Listen, you don't owe your flesh anything except for enmity and war. Your flesh has been trying to kill you since the day you were born. You are not a debtor to the flesh. You are a debtor to the Spirit. He's the one that's made you alive. He's the one that caused Jesus to look glorious. He's the one that opened your eyes to your need for a Savior. He's the one that brought you down and said, if you don't turn to Jesus, you will spend it. That was the work of the Holy Spirit. We are a debtor to the Spirit. All right, so our sin, our struggle with sin is an all-out war. So Paul, what he's going to do in the next few verses, is he's going to show us the difference between the works of the flesh and the work of the Spirit. He starts by showing us the ever-destroying works of the flesh. The ever-destroying works of the flesh. Look at verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, meaning they're clear, right? We see them in our life. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Should I go on? I mean, he's kind of hitting some things on the head here, right? Orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not enter the kingdom of God. So Paul points out here four kind of categories of sin. Points out Sex, religion, um, relationships, indulgences. Um, and we don't have to go through and unpack each one of those individually to get the point of how destructive they are. Right? He's showing us how the works of the flesh destroy and, and, and break us down. Right? They're destructive to the soul. These things that Paul listed, they're destructive to your body. Some of you have come to faith in Jesus Christ and bless the Lord, but you can look and you can see the scars of the destructive work of the flesh. They're destructive in your relationships. They're destructive in your fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Right? And Paul says something in these verses I bet you caught it as we read. It's, it's an eye catcher. It's one of those moments that go, oh, I don't know if I want to go back and read that again or not because it feels a little horrifying if I do. When he says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that make anybody else sit up a little straighter? Go, oh, 
Okay? Think I'm going to pay attention to that. When Paul says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom, he's talking about those who practice such things. Those who um, do these things, embracing them as an inevitable part of life, and practice them without repentance and without conviction. So I want to say very clearly, we're going to go along, there's going to be moments that we got to hold up the mirror and ask ourselves some very uh, hard questions, but necessary. This is one of those moments. A lifestyle, so a life marked by unrepentant, embraced sin is an evidence of having not been born again. Unrepentant, embraced, I've just come to accept this sin as a normal part of life. So it's just something I have to do. It's just thing, it's who I am. A lifestyle of unrepentant, embraced sin is an evidence of not belonging to Christ. How can I say that? Because when we give our heart and our life to Jesus, remember earlier when I said something happens? Here's the something that happens. Yes, we're delivered from the penalty of sin. Thank you, Lord, because he defeated death. But in Ephesians 1 and 2, we're also told that we're given the Holy Spirit in that moment. He comes to dwell in us. And where the Spirit of the Lord dwells, He convicts of sin. Jesus tells us in John 14 and 16, part of what the Holy Spirit does is convict us of sin, draws us to repentance. So I just want you to hear me say, if you look at your life and your life is marked by sin that you don't feel broken over, your heart doesn't break that it's there, you've come to embrace it as just who you are and there's no, you don't feel any need to repent of it, that's dangerous. That's, that is dangerous territory. Because it could very well be that's an evidence that you've never been given the Holy Spirit. So this is why Paul says we have to examine ourselves to see, make sure we are in the faith. One of the ways we make sure we're in the faith is that when we sin, our heart breaks over it. We know it shouldn't be there. We want to repent of it. We want to walk free of it. We don't embrace it. We don't welcome it. We don't make it at home. We go to war with it. Listen, as believers, we have to recognize that these behaviors Paul just listed out, all those things, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, uh, uh, envy, fits of rage, anger, jealousy, rivalry, dissension, drunkenness, all these things. I want you to hear me. When these things rise up in us, you can know this. It is never of the Spirit. It is never of the Spirit. The Spirit will never, ever not once ever lead you to look at pornography. Ever. Ever. The Spirit will never, ever, not once 
lead you to lust after someone who is not your spouse. The Spirit will never, ever lead you to have sex outside of marriage. I don't even mean just adultery. I'm talking about as a student. The Holy Spirit is never in having sex outside of the covenant of marriage. He will never, the Holy Spirit is never going to entice you to drunkenness. The Holy Spirit is never in your fit of rage that just blows up on people. The Holy Spirit does not, these are the works of the flesh. And we have to recognize every single one of these are impulses from the flesh that are an attack on what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. So we've been kind of consumed for the last two weeks, right, about what's happening in Israel. When, when Hamas attacked Israel, Israel did not have the luxury of taking it lightly, right? They had to become aware of something, and they had to become aware of something right now, and it's this. There is an enemy, and they're not just coming to pick on us. They want to destroy us. That's the, they had to go, oh, wait a minute. This is not some little, we'll throw a rock at you, you throw a rock at us. They have come to destroy. You know what that means? They couldn't, they can't make Hamas feel at home. They have to deal with the enemy that wants to destroy them. Believer, I want you to hear me this morning. The work of the flesh is seeking to destroy you, and it must be dealt with. Must be dealt with. Our struggle with sin is an absolute war. we got to put on the wartime mentality because the works of my flesh only want to destroy. But look at what Paul says next. Starting in verse 22. So he shows us the ever-destroying works of the flesh. Now he shows us the ever-restoring life of the Spirit. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we're all pretty familiar with that list of, of the fruit of the Spirit, right? These are the things that the Spirit wants to produce. There's a couple things I want us to get our heart around. First is this, the, the fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist that we work to achieve to have a better life, right? It's not what it is. These are not things that we try to do better because it makes us better people. Are you a better person if you're patient and kind and living in self-control? Yes. But the fruit of the Spirit are not things we're just trying harder to do. This is fruit the Spirit produces in us. This is a picture Paul is painting of the nature and character of Christ Jesus that the Holy Spirit then wants to paint in us. If the job of the Holy Spirit is to make us more like Jesus, then Paul is saying all of these things, joy, peace, patience, love, kindness, self-control, faithfulness, gentleness, all of these things that Christ lived out perfectly, the Holy Spirit wants to paint that same picture in our life. Why? Because he wants to make us more like Christ. 
This is the life Christ came to give. This is the ever-restoring life Jesus came for us to have. And if you know, when you read that fruit of the Spirit, you're going, man, I need that. Man, I need some of that going on in my life right now. That patience and that kindness, that self-control, I just feel out of control. I want to tell you, it is not going to be produced in you through more of your effort. This is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Which means it begins with more of the Spirit. Not your effort. It's His fruit. It's things that He produces. And, and you know, to be quite frank, man, I've spent most of my life seeing the fruit of the Spirit as things I just needed to strive to do better. Anybody see it that way, right? It's just stuff i got to work to do better. i, I got to be more patient. Not being patient, got to be more patient with the kids. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. I need to do that. Need to be more kind, right? But because it's the fruit of the Spirit, here's what you can know to be true. The fruit of the Spirit is not something we achieve for Him but something we receive from Him. Are you with me this morning? This is not something that you're going to do for God and go, God, look at what I was able to do. I tied my shoes a little harder, pulled myself up, white-knuckled, made some decisions, and I started doing more of that for you. And God's going, what a waste of time. These are things that only I can produce in you. You can't do this. Everybody in this room realizes there are areas of my life where I have no self-control no matter how hard I try. Because it's not something you are meant to achieve for God, but something God wants you to receive from Him. He does the work. This is the supernatural transformation that happens in our life by the supernatural work of the Spirit. And we don't get it any other way. Along the front of our uh, property, I saw some little trees that were growing. And I didn't know what they were. And I was about two seconds away from cutting them down. I'm glad I didn't. They aren't big, right? There's little trees that are growing. And one day, Pastor George and his family and some other friends were over at the house. And all of a sudden, I look and Pastor George and his kids are out literally standing in the ditch and they're eating something. What? What are they what's in the what are you eating in the ditch, man? Holy cow, what are y'all doing out there? He comes back and he's just got his shirt full of plums. They were all plum trees. I didn't know I had plum trees. I've got plum trees on, on there, right? And I was like, what is that? You are going to be so sick, dude. He's like, man, these are plums. These are awesome. I was like, what? So I have plum trees. Um and what I know about that little plum tree is this. There's only one thing that little tree can make. It can't make apples. It can only make plums. Why? Because there's a DNA inside of it that only produces one thing. There's nothing outside of that little tree that can cause it to not make plums or to make something else. What it produces is the fruit of what it is inside. Believer, hear me. 
This is the, the same is true for us. What did Jesus say in John 15? I am the vine. You are the. I am the vine. You are the. You're the branches. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. What does that mean? It means as long as we're letting the DNA of Christ, the Spirit, work in us, the new nature of Jesus Christ, as we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work this in us, the natural outworking of that will be the fruit of Christ. Love, joy, peace. That's what we will produce. It's a work He does in us. And this is what the flesh is waging war against. All right. So our battle with sin is an all-out war because the works of my flesh are trying to destroy me and the works of the Spirit are giving life and try, want to restore me. So how then do we see victory in our battle with sin? How do we tap into this power so that it is no longer inevitable that sin will have power over me? Our victory over sin is in absolute surrender. It's an absolute surrender. I can already feel some of you wanted it to be something different than that. You were like, oh, he's about to tell us, here we go, do X, Y, and Z, and bam, you got it. Rarely do we win wars by surrendering. It's not in our nature to surrender, is it? It's not in our nature to admit defeat. But I wonder if there's anybody in this room with me this morning who's ready to admit they can't beat sin on their own. I'm just ready to admit that. I'm ready to admit I can't do this. I can't. Good. Because your victory with, over sin is in absolute surrender. Look at what he says again in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? It means to yield. It means to submit to the Holy Spirit. That walk by the Spirit is in what we call the present active imperative. Present meaning it's a thing we do right now. Active, it is an action we have to take. Imperative, it's a command. Every day, right now, every moment, ongoing command, walk by the Spirit. Continuous surrender to the Spirit. He leads, we follow. We are called to a life of absolute surrender. Every day, every moment, yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit and walking by the Spirit. And as we learn to walk by the Spirit, you want, you want what's going to happen? All of a sudden, we're going to have desires produced in us that are stronger than the desires of the flesh. And that's, we will begin to have desires being produced in us that are stronger than the desires of the flesh. Well, how do we get there? We walk by the Spirit. Right? Now listen, this doesn't happen overnight. This does not happen overnight. But it will never happen if you are not walking by the Spirit. Ever. You will never experience victory over sin until there is surrender to the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been believers a long time and you live defeated by sin. You don't know how to get over this, this thing. This. Some of you 
have seen God work in a way and you've been delivered from sin. That didn't happen because you changed a few habits. That changed because you surrendered to the Spirit. See that promise? He says, and you will not, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Boy, that's a promise right there. That's a powerful promise. We live surrendered to the Spirit. We will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Your keys to victory over sin is not in trying harder. It is not in making more promises to God that you can't keep. It's not in trying to clean yourself up. It's not in trying to do better and and overcome by your own might. Your keys to victory over sin are in dying to yourself, yielding yourself completely to the Spirit. Why? Because it is impossible, hear me, it is impossible for you to look at pornography and pray for holiness from the Spirit at the same time. It is impossible for you to blow up in rage and anger on someone if at the very same time you were asking for the Holy Spirit to pour love into you for them. Am I right? Okay. My point is this. You can't surrender to both natures simultaneously. You are either submitting yourself to your flesh or you are submitting yourself to the Spirit. You cannot do both at the same time. But I want you to hear me and I want you to grab this and let it be some joy in your heart. And it's this. Your flesh is no match for the Spirit if you will yield to Him. Your flesh is no match for the Spirit. If you will yield, surrender, submit, walk with, keep in step with. That's what he's about to say in the very next verse. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen, that crucifying, that's not a one-time deal. You want to know how many times you got to crucify your flesh? Every time you're tempted to sin. Every day you wake up and you got to put your flesh to death. Every single day. And if we live by the Spirit, here's the next thing he says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Like a drill instructor marching troops who keep in time. They just stay with him. Where he goes, they go. Where he leads, they're right behind him. And they're keeping in step with the Spirit. That's the picture Paul's painting. Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. But if we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, it means we have to know how to hear His voice and respond to His leading. So how do you hear the voice of the Spirit? We're almost done. How do you hear the voice of the Spirit? Well, Matt, I read my Bible. Great. I read my Bible for a lot of years as I lived defeated by sin. Some of you are doing that right now. How do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? How do you follow His leading? You pray. Prayer is the means by which we are filled with the Spirit. Prayer is the means by which the Spirit who wrote that Bible you're reading causes it to come alive and have power in your life. And it goes from words on a page to a sword in your hand. That's the work of the Spirit. And if you don't pray, you don't live. Now, you got to let me pass to you for just, I know it's felt heavy today, and honestly, I thought this was going to be real encouraging. I hope it has been, but i got to say this part to you. (laughs) 
Every Wednesday, about 100 people come into this room to pray. Every Sunday, about 600 people come into this room to worship. And I want to believe that 500 of you have got this thing figured out. But I don't. Right? You don't believe that about me. I don't believe that about you. You go, well, Matt, I can pray by myself. Yes, you can. But every time God moved in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, you know what happened before he moved? God's people prayed. Every revival that broke out in the book of Acts, you know what happened before, before the revival broke out? God's people together prayed. Every time a miracle happened and chains fell off of prisoners that were against a wall, do you know what happened before that? God's people were praying. There's power when the Bible says confess your sins to one another. There's power says if you're sick, call on the elders, let them lay hands on you and pray. There's power when God's people gather together and pray. And if you are sick of living in defeat of the same sin, what if you tried something different? What if you gathered with God's people on when and you came into this place? You know, the first thing we do is we confess our sin. And I think it's why a lot of us struggle to be here. Because we have ongoing sin that we don't really want to get rid of because we keep it as a pet. And we toy with it. I need more freedom from sin. Anybody with me? Just I want to say out loud, I need victory. I just want to say it. I don't want to preach about a thing that I don't... I need victory. If you need victory... It comes in communion with the one who has power. It comes in fellowship with the one who wants to fill you every moment of every day so that your cup is overflowing with a supernatural strength to deal with the desires of your flesh and put them to death. It is no longer inevitable if you are in Christ that sin will have power over you. You can have victory from sin. How do we do this? Obviously, we pray. So here's the next few minutes. The next few minutes are just responding to this. If you held up the mirror a little bit ago when I was talking about how living an unrepentant, embraced sin may very well mean we don't belong to Jesus. If you don't belong to Christ, what prevents you? What, what's stopping you today? What reason is good enough? The gospel is that Christ died for you, that he loves you, that he wants you to spend eternity with him, but he wants you to begin to have an abundant life right now. What would prevent you from saying, yeah, I need that. I need that. If you're not in Christ, just a minute, we're going to stand up. You're not going to be the only one standing. Everybody's going to stand up. And when they stand, just come grab somebody by the hand. We're right down here. Oh, then they'll know. Okay. What's worse, a moment of humility or an eternity in hell? If you're not in Christ, come be born again. If you are in Christ and there is lingering sin and you feel defeated by it, it's not going to be better tomorrow because you tried harder. It's going to come when you get honest about it and you make war on your knees. So it might be that you got to come to the altar. It might be that you stay in your seat. It might be that you come and take one of us by the hand. 
Let's just respond to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So, Lord, I love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power there. Holy Spirit, thank you that you love us and you you want to strengthen us and give us victory over sin. Help us just do what you want us to do now. In Jesus' name.